We extend a very good evening to everybody and thank you for joining in as we gather here at Stormy Free Church and we pray that we will know God's blessing as we come under his word. We're going to begin by reading from Psalm 93, Psalm 93 in Sing Psalms, page 123 of the Psalm book. The Lord is King, his throne endures, majestic in his height. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength and might. The world is founded firm and sure, removed it cannot be. Your throne is strong, and you are God from all eternity. The seas, O Lord, have lifted up, they lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their waves and made a mighty noise. The Lord enthroned on high is strong, more powerful is he than thunder of the ocean waves or breaker of the sea. Your royal statutes, Lord, stand firm, unchanging is your word, and holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. The Lord is King, his throne in Jewish. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, we give thanks that you, like your throne, endure forever. We give thanks that you are the Lord of heaven and earth, the God, the exalted King, the ruler, the one who has brought everything into being, and the one who will one day bring everything to an end as we know it. The world will pass away, and everything to do with this world. We give thanks, Lord, that you are in control of all these things. And that is the amazing thing, that your people are not filled with anxiety about the thought of this world coming to an end. We know it will, and there are so many people today who are filled with anxiety at the thought of what might happen. But we know, although there are things we don't understand, that you will come again. A day is going to come when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again to take his own people home with him. And there will come a day when the very elements will burn with a fervent heat. But there will be new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And, o Lord, how we look forward to that time. But as we journey through this world where we are now, we give thanks, Lord, for everything that you've done for us and given to us in the way that you have displayed your glory, even in the very creation. Uh, when I look up unto the heavens, which thine own fingers framed, even to the moon and to the stars, which were by thee ordained, your fingerprint is all over this creation. And we give thanks, Lord, for your handiwork that reveals your power and your wisdom and your glory and your might. And uh, we pray that uh, we might be filled with a sense of awe in your presence and realize that we are before the God of creation, the God of providence, the God of salvation, the God of grace. We ask, Lord, that you will be with us, and that we will know your presence, and that we will know your peace, and that you will guide us and lead us in the way that we should go. Lord, we recognize that life is often challenging and difficult for us, and so often we do not know the right way to go. We know we have your word, and it is a rule to direct us, but often we face decisions and we wonder, do we turn to the left or to the right, or do we go straight on? And so we look to you and we pray that every day that you will guide us and instruct us. And you have promised from your word, uh, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you shall go. I will guide you with mine eye. And we pray that our lives might be lived 
under that guidance from the Lord, that your hand will be on the helm of our lives and that you will be directing us in a way that is God-honoring and God-glorifying. Oh, forgive us, Lord, for our own selfishness and self-centeredness and when our stubbornness refuses to uh, bow to your word and where we will do our own thing, where we go against you. Oh, Lord, forgive us. There is within us a, a fearful tendency and sympathy towards sin. And we have to confess, like the apostle said, the good that I would, I do not. And the evil that I would not, that is what I do. And Lord, so often we find ourselves coming back again and again and again, lamenting because of our sin and our failure. But, oh Lord, we give thanks that there is within us, uh, by your Spirit, this sense of sin and sense of unworthiness, and yet knowing where to go with it. And we pray, Lord, that you will deliver us and free us from the guilt of sin. And we give thanks that in your word we are assured that if we come to rest in you and accept you as our Saviour, then that we are delivered from the punishment and the power and the guilt and the dominion of sin. O Lord, we pray then that you will bless us and bless our homes and our families and all whom we love. And we pray that you will be with each and every one, be with those who mourn and those who are going through hard times, those who sorrow over the the loss of loved ones, dry up the tears of their eyes and bind up the broken heart, we pray. We ask, Lord, for those who are ill, those who are in hospital, those who are undergoing treatment or have done so or undergoing surgery or have done so and are waiting for it. Lord, we pray your blessing that your healing power will be upon people. Pray, Lord, for those who are nearing the end of their life. Prepare the dying for death. What an awesome step it is from leaving time into eternity. We pray, Lord, that oh, that you will that you will work in the, those who are dying if they have not yet found Christ, that they will. Because it's an awful thing to em- enter into the great eternity all on one's own. So we pray that you will watch over each and every one. Give thanks for our young people. We give thanks, Lord, for the virtual Sunday school. We give thanks, Lord, for uh, teachers and how, how they prepared and for parents helping. We give thanks, Lord, for the success of it and for all the gifts and abilities and talents that you've given. We pray, Lord, that you will be with our young people. And we ask, Lord, that you will bless teachers as well and all who are uh, seeking to work in the education of our young. Lord, we pray to bless our nation, particularly at this time of uncertainty of as we are going through this pandemic and uh, again so often we do not know what is the right thing to do and uh, we find that our leaders are making decisions this way and that and uh, they are obviously trying to do the very best for us but we would ask Lord that that it might come that they will look to you because we never hear your name being mentioned uh, and, and asking that that their prayer would be made. We don't hear our leaders even asking that the church would pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that you would be merciful to us and that you would heal us. We give thanks, Lord, for the progress that's been made with the vaccine and ask, Lord, that this will prove uh, so effective and uh, that uh, you will enable us to get back to a greater level of normality, although there are aspects of life as it was which, which weren't good. But we pray, Lord, that the best of life 
uh, might be uh, restored to us. And uh, we ask, Lord, for all those who are casualties of this illness, whether these are casualties uh, through physical illness, those who are struggling with the aftermath of COVID and all the sorrow that has been brought through death, the exhaustion through uh, NHS staff dealing, being stretched uh, to the limit very often in dealing with the illnesses that are there. And those who are financial casualties, where there's so many people have lost their income, lost their job, there's so much uncertainty. And, oh Lord, we pray for every home, every household that doesn't really know what's going to happen. What a fearful thing when we go from what looked like security and all of a sudden everything up in the air. Help us, Lord, to look to you. Because you don't change and you you knew all this and you know the outcome. And so we pray that you would bless us, that it might please you to bless us and do us good. And so we pray for our leaders and all in authority over us. And bless your word throughout this world. And that uh, throughout this day, that many will have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us now as we come to your word and take away our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, a wee word to, to, the, to the young people. I suppose I could ask you this question. How tall are you? Obviously, you, you, I can't hear your answer from here. But I'm sure that all of you have had yourself measured and that you know roughly how tall you are. Uh, I still do the feet and inches, probably you're into the meters and centimeters, but my thinking is I always think of a person's height uh, with regard to, to feet and to inches. I remember as a boy when I was growing up, I used to, there were marks on the wall because uh, every so often I would say to my mum or dad, oh, go and measure me and I would go, right against the wall like that and they would put a ruler just above my head and they would put a mark and then when they had done that they would take out this thing which is so important should be in every house uh, a measuring tape and the measuring tape has the inches and the feet and it's got the centimeters and the meter there we go that's two feet two, two feet uh, down to three foot and there you have then you have your that's now the first meter one meter now what I still remember is the day when I reached five feet when I became five foot tall which I think is one meter 52 or something like that but I still think of it in, in feet and inches and the day I came to five foot I thought wow what a day that is I felt so so tall and I thought, I'm, I'm going to be big because, you know, in primary school, I was actually quite tall. You wouldn't believe it now. But I was quite tall. In fact, there's a photo uh, when I was in primary seven in the football team. And I'm standing in the back row. And with the exception of one boy, I'm the tallest boy in the back row. I didn't stay like that. But it's very interesting that the actual boy that I was beside, who was the same height as me, uh, a boy called John Weir, there's a photo of when we were in the senior football team, I was uh, in school, probably about fifth year, and again I'm standing beside John Weir. I grew to five foot six. He grew all the way to six foot six. So on primary seven, we were the same height, and then he grew that much more than me. 
So we don't know when we're, when we're young just exactly what height we're going to grow to. But as I say, measuring tapes are very, very important because we don't just measure our height. We measure loads of things. If you were, uh, maybe you're not going to do it just now, but supposing your mum or dad or somebody in the house, you say, well, we're going, to put, we're going to build a wee shed or you're going to build a garage. The next door is building a house and you see that the, the joiners and the brickies, they're all using this. They're using the measuring tape because you have to know exactly how things are. It's no use saying, I'll take a bit of wood, about six feet, that'll do. It's got to be exactly right. Supposing you were going to get a very special suit made, and you say, I'm going to go to the tailor and get a maid to measure. Or you're going to the dressmaker to get a maid to measure dress. It's a special occasion. The tailor or the dressmaker wouldn't just kind of look at you and say, oh, I reckon you're, you're about this size. No, they would get a tape. They would get the measuring tape and they would put that tape round you. They'd be measuring this way and that way because they have to get it exactly right. And you know, as we go through life, we have to measure our lives as well to see how we're getting on. And it's very important that we live our lives in a right way, that we don't, uh, that we're kind and careful and helpful and that we don't lie or swear, uh, all these kind of things, and that we don't hurt people by what we say and by what we do. And we have to measure our lives. Now, we can't, you and I, can, we can measure our bodies with a measuring tape, but we can't measure our lives to see how we're getting on with a measuring tape. It doesn't work. When you measure, you have to measure against something. And with regard to our lives, it's not a measuring against something, but against someone. And that someone is Jesus. So we need to measure our lives to see how we're getting on by looking to Jesus. And there's two things that we have to do. First of all, we look at Jesus, at how he lived, the example he gave us, and how what he has told us in his word to do. Every day we have to ask the Lord, to help us to live as Jesus lived. But the second, and this is the most important thing, it is impossible for us to really live like Jesus until Jesus comes in, into our heart to be king, to be king of our life. And that's what we ask every day. We must say, Lord, please, please come in to me. I want, and this is a prayer that Jesus loves above, above all, because Jesus in heaven, his Holy Spirit, he will send his Holy Spirit and Jesus will rule your life by his Spirit within you. And it's then that you will be led in the right way to make the right choices, to do the right things. I know sometimes we'll still, when we're Christians, sadly we sin and do our own thing, which is wrong, and we have to go back and ask Jesus to forgive us. But until Jesus is there, within our life, we can't really live like Jesus. And that's the most important thing to do. And if, if we have Jesus within us, we go to the Bible and we measure up our lives by looking at what the Bible says. So you ask Jesus in, and once Jesus is in your heart, you're going to start measuring up right in life. Let's say the Lord's Prayer.
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to read God's word now from the book of Psalms, and Psalm number 96. Psalm number 96. <clears throat> o sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the earth, to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in the sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar, and all that fills it. Let the field exult, and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word. And I want us this evening to, to think about the first few verses, verses 1 to 5 of this really wonderful psalm, this psalm of, of worship. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. As we see in this psalm, this psalm is really pulsating, as it were, with energy and vibrancy in the praise and adoration of God. And it's a psalm that goes to the furthest corners of the world, embracing, as it were, all people. Now, as we know, back in the Old Testament, we find that uh, God's uh, glory and God's word in particular was confined to a very small area. We know that he had his people, Israel, and that he dealt with his people. But he gave great promises through that, that the word that he had given to his people in this little part of the world, there were little indications right throughout the Old Testament that this word was going to spread right throughout the world. And of course, we know that that is exactly what happened with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world, he ushered in, as it were, the New Testament age, the kingdom had come, and of course, 
at Pentecost, where the great uh, the great uh, coming of the of the Holy Spirit in a in a very powerful way. But there are indications, as we say, right through the Old Testament of what is going to happen globally with regard to the gospel. And this psalm is obviously a mission psalm because it talks of all the earth, it talks of among the nations and among all the peoples. So you can see this is a psalm that spreads out into all the world. Now, as we know, the book of Psalms is, is a wonderful book and it's a, it's a book that uh, we go to all the time. We can't help it. And it's a book that deals with all the problems and all the issues of life. There is really, I don't know of any book that is its equal. The book of Psalms is unique because it gets right into the, to the heart of the problem. Because so often, as we go through all the differing experiences of life, whether it could be hurt and brokenness, disappointment, uncertainty, anger, frustrations, all the different things, the joys, and how to, how to deal with these things. This is part of what this book of Psalms does. It gets right in, and you'll find it doesn't really matter what experience you go through. You go to the Psalms, and you'll find, and you say, Poor, Psalm has just been there. He's expressing just how I feel. And that is how the Psalms really are, are so precious uh, to uh, so many people. Uh, now, we again, we find in the, the Psalms that the, the Psalms are uh, often dealing with all these kind of issues. And often we find that the Psalmist is, is confronting these things. But the Psalms are often also full of praise. And constantly in the Psalms we're told to, to praise God and to honour God and to sing to God and to bless his holy name and to thank him and to ascribe glory to his name. And God is looking for our praise every single day and looking for our thanks. We should praise him for who he is and thank him for what he has done. Praise and thanks to a certain extent that they join together, they're different. The praise is ascribing glory to his name. And remember, your chief duty and my chief duty in this world is to glorify God. And we're told in God's word that whoever uh, praises him glorifies him. So if our lives are characterized by praise, genuine praise from our heart, praising God for who he is, ascribing glory to his name, then we're glorifying God, we're living in the right way. Now, verse 1, we're told here, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, that doesn't mean that every single day we get up, we're going to write a new song. Now, great if you can do that. By all means, if you have the ability to every day, you compose a new song and sing it to the Lord. Hallelujah. But I don't believe that that is precisely or particularly what it is meaning. I think it is more a reference to each day sing anew the songs that we have. For instance, we read God's Word every day. And supposing you have read, supposing you read through the Bible, supposing you read through the Bible every year, you will still be reading year after year the same thing. And you and I, we read the same things over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
But we never tire of it. And every day it's new, although the words are the same words that have been there for generations. And every day they're new words because it's a new day in our life, new day in our experience. And that word is relevant for our day and our experience at this particular time. So it's a new day for us. God's word is ever new, just like his mercies are new every morning. So we should be in the habit of every day singing the song to the Lord of thanksgiving and of praise. And one of the very worst things that we can do is to go through life and not acknowledge God, not be praising him, not be, be thanking him in any way at all. Praise, as we say, should be an integral part of our lives. You know, it's almost like first thing in the morning. It's like, almost like the very birds are in their dawn chorus. You'd almost say that they're praising God. Uh, but here we are who have been made in the created way. That's how we were originally made. We're created in the image of God. We can get up and there's not a word of praise. There's not a word of thanksgiving. And so many people never lift their, their eyes or their hearts heavenward. And they just live down in this earth with their heads down, not looking uh, to the Lord of heaven and earth. And so in verse 2, then it tells us, along with singing to the Lord and blessing his name, we are to tell of his salvation from day to day. You see, this is our, our Christian duty and our Christian responsibility, is to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord gives us an opportunity, as he often does, we should share our faith. And you know, it's often that people, I remember after I became a Christian and, and at work, sometimes people would say, how, how, how do you look, how, how does a Christian look at this? Or very often, uh, people that I worked with uh, after I became a Christian say, what happened? How, how did you, you become a Christian? What, what's all that about? What happened? And, you know, they, they ask the question, so there's the opportunity. It's a golden opportunity. Without you opening the thing, the door is open. So you've always got to ask the Lord for the wisdom to answer these questions right. But so often you get the opportunity of giving a short account of how God has worked in your lives, of the transforming power and grace of God. And God's people are living letters, living epistles, read of, of, of all men, that's what we're told. So as we live out our lives, by word, but also by life. It should be challenging people because, you know, the beauty of Christianity is we don't witness to people by conforming to this world, but by conforming to Christ, because Christ was different. And it's, we don't set out to be different. But if you live a Christ-like life in this world, there will often come points where you will be different and people will know it and see it. And that life is a witness and a testimony. So by life and by word, we are to tell people uh, about the Lord Jesus. And we are to tell of his salvation and we are to declare his glory. We're to remind people that God is. Because you see, sin has distorted everything. And sin has closed people's minds to the truth. And people, sin has closed people's minds 
to the reality of God and who he is. And it really is quite extraordinary how so many people have so closed their minds that they, they now say, there is no God. Throughout this world, it would be very interesting to hear just to discover how many people say there is no God. When you dig in like the vast expanse of, of China and places under communist rule where there is no God in their thinking, and yet we know there's a huge work going on in the church in China where not only thousands but millions are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout this world, though, there are so many people who say, and the people label themselves agnostics or humanists or atheists or secularists or all kinds of different things. But the Bible actually has a name for the person who says there is no God. It's not me who's saying it, but this is what God says. What does God say of those who say there is no God? He calls them a fool. That's the term. The fool has said in their heart, there is no God. And that's a very, very solemn and a very serious name. That's God's verdict. And it's God's verdict because the reason that they say there is no God is because of the blindness and the distortion and the prejudice of sin and Satan. Because if you remove the prejudice and you honestly look out at this world and look at the creation, look at the marvel of it, the intricacy of it, God's handiwork is everywhere. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens have a voice. His fingerprints are seen in the whole creation. This world and all its times and its seasons and everything is speaking of God. And then there's his word. He has, he has given us the general revelation of the creation. And we're told in Romans 1 very clearly that we are without excuse because the heavens declare the glory of God. And it reveals to us his eternity, his power and his Godhead. So people cannot say there is no God. It's screaming to us there is a God. But his word also is revealing to us. God has made this, given us this special revelation where we're able to discover so much of who he really is. But you see, one of the reasons why people want to say there is no God and push God out of their thinking is that they want to live their lives free from any obligations. And they want to live life according to how they want to live it. It's my life and I will do what I want. So they feel that they're free from any obligations and, and that they're not in any way answerable to God. But you know, irrespective of what a person may think in this world, or irrespective of what a person may do in this world, it doesn't matter how much they may rage against God and against those who believe in a God. One day, you see, there is an accountability. One day we all have to give an account of what we have done in this world, in the body, good or bad. Everybody's going to have to. Whether we believed in God or not, that doesn't alter the fact that there is going to be a day where all have to give an account of all that has been done. So as you said, the whole creation speaks of God. In the beginning, God. Now, now of course, that doesn't mean that God had a beginning. God had no beginning. God is eternal. But God, at a point, 
brought uh, this world into being through through the creation. He spoke the word and he brought everything into being. And the psalmist is comparing our God to the worthless idols and gods that have no words. Isn't it extraordinary? Statues have no words. Graven images have no words. And people worship things that have no power within themselves. It's, it's really, when you really begin to think of the, the madness of idolatry. And then the psalmist is telling us in that in verses 4 and 5, that the living and true God is the one to be feared. And he reminds us in verse 5 of what the Lord did. He made the heavens. Now talk of a talk of something to stop you in your tracks. You know, children quite often like to, to boast about say somebody in the family and they might say, Oh, you know, my 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 uncle, my uncle's a pilot. My uncle he, he flies a plane or he, fl he he pilots a helicopter and people go, whoa, wow, that's quite something. Or my mum, she's running marathons all over the world. And people say, whoa. So children often like to boast. But you know, the Christian can boast and say, you know, my heavenly father, he, 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 he made the heavens out of nothing. He spoke the word. He made this world. And all he said, let there be. And he brought into being. That's what my heavenly father has done. Talk of being able to boast in God. And then that's really in a sense what we're, we're to tell people. Because going back to verse 2, it's interesting the change in direction. Verses 1 and 2a, we're told to sing to the Lord. And all the speaking and singing is to the Lord. But then it changes direction and it says, tell of his salvation. And that means tell other people and you see the order that is given to us there is deliberate because we can't tell other people properly until we first of all have been speaking to the Lord that's the order there's no point going to speak to, to people until we've first spoken to the Lord because we begin we begin with the Lord we can try and tell people about the Lord but in, unless we have been in his company and in his presence, it's not really going to work the same. And you know, when you spend time in the presence and company of the Lord, something of the Lord's presence lingers with you when you leave. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain, having spent so much time with the Lord, his face actually shone. It, it, it could tell told of the disciples that they could see that they had been with Jesus. And so there's a lingering presence of the Lord. And when that lingering presence is there, it makes our witness far more powerful and effective. It has a lasting impression. And verse 4 says, the psalmist says, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Let's stop for a moment here and think exactly who the Lord is. Because it helps us just a little to remember who it is that we follow and who we worship. God is a spirit and that is infinite. In other words, he has no limits. He's everywhere at once. He is everywhere at the same time. He knows everything at the same time. Uh, it's, it's quite extraordinary. That he's, he knows everything. He is everywhere at, at once. And he's eternal. 
Everything in this world is temporary. Nothing lasts. Even the world itself is not going to last. Everything passes. No relationship in this world is forever. In the, in the, when I have probably the closest relationship in the world is marriage. Remember what it says? When you take one another, until death do you part. So there's a, everything in this world separates. Everything in this world comes to an end. But there's one thing that doesn't. And that is the salvation that God gives us. Because although we are not eternal, we enter into eternal life. A life that never ends. And that's why it says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. A life that never ends, which is the life that God is. He is eternal. He is, he is uh, the only one that is eternal. But we are given eternal life. And it's, we've got to remember that God's eternity affects everything. It affects our life of salvation. But it also affects judgment. Because God's judgment is eternal. And those who are under his judgment, who die out of Christ are entering into eternal judgment. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awful thought. Again, following on from that, we know that God is unchanging. Now, we find that hard to understand because we're always changing. Our moods change. Some days we're in a good mood. Other days, our mood might be a, bit, a little darker. Some days we might be unhappy. Other days we're full of the joys. Our attitudes, our feelings, our environment changes. Physically, we change. God never changes. And that's wonderful because we don't have to question how he'll be when we come when we come to him. Because he's always the same. And it means his word is always the same. He never goes back on any promise. He's a God who is all wise. He never makes mistakes. And we can't understand that, but God never does. And he has a purpose in every single thing that he does. And his wisdom is revealed to us in his creation, in his providence, in his salvation, all the time his wisdom. And he's all powerful. He does according to his will with the armies of heaven and with the inhabitants of the earth. He is holy, altogether pure. He is free from any taint whatsoever of, of, of sin or injustice. Every single thing he does, every motive is pure. And he is just. And because he is just, he has to punish sin. He cannot bear sin, tolerate sin. But because he is just, it means that because he punished his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us, he will never punish twice. If Jesus Christ has taken your place and you have received Jesus Christ, as Lord and Saviour, then Jesus, then God the Father will never punish you because he has punished the Son. You see, this is, this is the wonderful thing. This is what, how just he is. And this is where his love and his justice and all these things meet together. And he is good. His goodness fills the whole earth. Good unto all men is the Lord. You know, we should sometimes stop and just reflect on how good God is. Because his goodness affects and touches every aspect of our being. 
Let me ask you today, do you know this great God, this good God, this wonderful God, this God of heaven and earth? But today, you seek that you will know this God as your God and that you will live in praise to his name and to his glory forever. We're going to conclude by singing in Psalm 145, Psalm 145, and we're going to sing from verse 7 to 12. It's the second version. They utter shall abundantly the memory of thy goodness great, and they shall sing cheerfully whilst they thy righteousness relate. The Lord our God is gracious, compassionate is he also. In mercy he is plenteous, but unto wrath and anger slow. Good unto all men is the Lord. And so on, Psalm 145, 7 to 12. Shall abundantly the memory of thy goodness mercy and peace of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.